Welcome to Discover Ag, where every week we discover what's new in the world of agriculture. I'm your host, Natalie Kaborik, And I'm Tara Vanderdeusen. And together we bring our professional farming opinions on a mix of entertainment, facts, and trending news articles in the ag and food space. We keep our fingers on the pulse so you don't have to. Welcome to the Discover Ag podcast. We are so excited to have you guys here. Uh, for anyone that is tuning in on our normal show and listening to this, you know, from your earbuds or wherever you're at, we are actually live from the American Farm Bureau Convention right here in Puerto Rico. Uh, for our live audience, you'll see Natalie and I have our phones out and we'll be walking you guys through our podcast over the next 30 minutes, so I hope you guys really enjoy it. This is a little bit different of a setting for us. <laughs> a little bit. Normally we're like in our little makeshift podcast studios on the farm and ranch, um, but now we can have a lovely audience, um, and we're really excited and honored to be here in Puerto Rico. This is actually the 104th um, American Farm Bureau Convention. The first one was in 1919. It was in Chicago, Illinois, and at the beginning of the convention, there was a declaration that said, this country needs the sound conservative common sense of the farmers expressed in a collective and organized way. And I think 104 years later, that probably still rings true. On that note, American Farm Bureau gave farmers and ranchers a voice and a seat at the table for the powerful economic interests of the day. At the time, it was business, manufacturing, railroads, and labor. And as Natalie said, 104 years later, we're facing many of the same challenges. We also have modern concerns like globalization, the farm bill that we've been hearing a ton about, and climate change issues. And speaking of climate change, that's actually what we are going to dive in today for one of our top industry news pieces. So for everyone that's in the audience today that is not familiar with the Discover Ag podcast, the way it works is once a week, every Thursday, we cover three trending news articles in the ag and food space um, that we think you guys need to know, and we give our professional farming opinions as a rancher from Nebraska and a dairy farmer from New Mexico. Um, the topics we cover are always varying. We have covered lab-grown meat, the Netherlands crisis, uh, methane emissions from oil and gas, which was like a really, really fun one to cover. Um, we did the GO, GMO bans in Mexico. And so we try and hit like those hot topics in agriculture and then again, give you know a female's perspective in agriculture on it. Yeah, so this week we're actually only gonna be covering two news articles. And that is because we are gonna have a live Q&A at the end. So if you have questions, keep them in mind. There's going to be a mic and we can have some engaging conversation at the end. So the, we'll be covering just two of these. So to get right to it, our first article uh, was actually sent to me from a follower on Instagram. And it is a part of the anti-meat like meat narrative that we so often see on social media. It's from Vox, which is a news account with just under 1 million followers. The article is both on their website and was on their social channels. And it was centered around, and I quote, looking for a New Year's resolution that is good for you and the planet? Try eating less meat. So, side note, our husbands, we are in a group text thread, and they're actually texting right now. Oh. Keeps pop I'm like, Dan and Luke, could you not <laughs> Can be you not talk right now? We are we actually on stage. Um, so, going back to the article from Vox, um, I am a little unimpressed and I guess equally impressed by this one. So I definitely have some things to add to you this. You have a lot to say about this one. Yeah. Uh, the second piece is actually not an article. It's a podcast, and it's from a popular doctor online. He has 2.2 million followers just on Instagram, millions in other places. He did a social media post and this podcast about how to eat a blue zone diet in the United States. Yeah, I've actually wanted to talk about blue zones on the podcast before, and I feel like the opportunity has never presented itself. So very excited are. for this one in Puerto Rico. <laughs> 
Yeah, but before we dive into all of that, let's uh, recap a little bit about what's going on here in Puerto Rico. So first, I want to say thank you to American Farm Bureau for having us, for having all of us. This has been, I think, everyone I've talked to would agree, like such an incredible convention. We just got started. Puerto Rico, thank you for really welcoming us to your island, opening up your culture, your people, your home, and your farms to all of us. If you were here yesterday, American Farm Bureau had tours where you could go visit different farms across the island. If you're just getting here, there's more tours again on Tuesday. We highly recommend them. We had a chance to explore some agriculture, and it was honestly incredible. So I'm excited for that for everyone. Um, and so with that, yeah, we actually heard from President Duvall this morning, too, which is a fantastic way to kick off the events. Um, I loved the flying of the flags. <laughs> um, I went a little hog wild thinking Oregon was Montana. So you're welcome, Oregon, for the extra shouts from the girl from Nebraska thinking it was Montana, which is originally where I'm from. But they, I thought they did a fabulous job, like, opening. Yeah. <laughs> opening, uh, opening that off. Yeah, I um, was. I kept being like, how do you not know what your flag looks like? Well, I'm from New Mexico, so ours is literally yellow and very obviously New Mexico. When I saw all the blue flags with a yellow circle, I was like, okay, I get it. It's kind of hard to tell whose flag is who. Uh, my favorite from this morning was actually seeing all of the videos from Farm Bureau members across the country. Last year, our farm and our family actually had the chance to be highlighted in one of the first sustainability videos, along with Kamal Bell and some others. Now, American Farm Bureau has done more than 100 sustainability stories across the country and in Puerto Rico, too. So, moving right into our top two news pieces of what you need to know this week. The title is, How to Eat Less Meat, a Practical Guide from Vox Media. And I have to quote this. This is the opening of the article. There's more awareness than ever about the problems associated with industrialized meat production, from its contributions to climate change and pollution to the abysmal treatment of animals and workers in meatpacking plants. I feel like they took every word that could possibly be like negative and just threw it all into one article and were like, okay, now read it. I like how you said abysmal. I just feel like, who uses that word? <laughs> um, I, again, going back to what I said before, this article I was... Uh, um, a little confused by it. Honestly, they open the article up by saying that only six to eight, I am going to murder my husband. Um, okay, <laughs> they open up the article by saying that only six to eight percent of U.S. adults are vegetarian or vegan, and that most don't stick with the diet due to extreme difficulties of maintaining it, with as high as 84 percent of vegetarians or vegans abandoning it. So I was like, okay, if this news article is here to get people to be a vegan and vegetarian lifestyle, not really Strong convincing. Statistics. Yeah, way to open it up. Yeah. But I think they made that because they go on to say that despite those numbers, nearly a quarter of Americans are trying to cut back on meat. And I think that was their little like way to sneak in the back door on like their vegan white horse. Um, for me, the whole article brought up a lot about, which is something you and I talk about both on and off the podcast, is that are we making this anti-meat narrative bigger than it actually is? Like, is the loudest voice just one really loud, annoying voice? Or is there concern around this? Again, this Vox Media account has millions following it just on social media alone. And that was only checking their Instagram account. Who knows what their YouTube was, you know, the impressions from their website. And so I just wonder, like, where we fall on this. Like, do we always have to be on the defense or are we on the defense a little bit too much? Yeah, so there's actually a poll in the app if you go to the Discover Ag on your schedule. You can answer some poll questions and we'll ask you guys them here. And that's kind of a question we have for you guys. 
Like, do you feel like there's an anti-meat narrative in mean, mainstream media? Like, are we vilifying animal ag? Are we vilifying agriculture in general? So we can even do a show of hands. Like, are you guys seeing that? Or are we not seeing that? Like, what? Raise your hand if you think you're seeing that online. We got one over there. Oh, oh yeah, we've one. got okay. some people. Okay. It's not just us. Sometimes yeah. I'm like, is this confirmation bias? Are we just looking for this? I know. And so I think it goes back to the fact that most Americans, like our movable middle, as we like to call them, eat meat. We know that. They are eating meat and dairy daily, weekly. But I don't think that they're the issue. To me, it's really about what is driving, who is driving change. So I think a lot of times there is a minority of people who are the loudest, and they are impacting a lot of this change. Um, just a couple months ago, we were at a conference where we were talking with the ch chief sustainability officer for a really large fast food company, and they were talking about moving to cage-free eggs. And we were like, is this something your customers are asking of you? And they were like, no, it is absolutely shareholder top down. And one of the issues, I think it goes back to kind of what President Duvall was saying this morning about the Farm Bill. We have all these new Congress members who have never, that are brand new, and they're working on the Farm Bill. Who are they being influenced by? What are the conversations they are having? And to me, that's why this is an issue. So one thing that I thought was really interesting about this, again, it was an Instagram post we originally saw it as. It had an article to go with it. But in the article, it had an option to sign up for a five-day meatless e-course, where every single day for five days, they would, in their words, teach you, one, how to easily incorporate more plant-based foods into your diet, two, give you evidence-based behavior strategies to make it last, and three, serve up plenty of food for thought on how our choices impact animals and health and the planet. So of course, I 100% signed up for this <laughs> five-day e like meatless e-course. Um, I've only gotten one email from it so far. The first email covered, can going plant-based really make a difference? And again, I was again, like who is actually writing this? Because I was equally unimpressed with some of the things in it, but also a little worried and impressed. So, it started out with a ton of garbage, honestly. They gave some stats on like the amount of animals that the average American consumes per year, which I'm not honestly entirely sure the point behind it. They quoted, which is I feel like everywhere in the narrative, eating less or no meat is consistently ranked as one of the most effective actions individuals can take to reduce their carbon footprint. But what was hilarious to me in this email was I clicked on the links to support that and they linked to this study that ranked 10 things that are effective um, at um, reducing our carbon footprint, and plant-based was six out of 10. So they literally presented a study that said, here are five <laughs> better things, things to do. You can actually do. <laughs> yeah, and here are four, and the four things below were like upgrading the light bulbs, hanging out your clothes, and the things yeah. above were like uh, food waste, landfill waste, energy, oh, and so I was like- things we always talk about. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is not supporting your case. Yeah. Um, they also linked to one I use in my adv advocacy efforts all the time, which is that 0 .08, uh, eating a plant-based diet saves about 0 .08 tons of carbon equivalents per year, whereas avoiding a transatlantic flight saves 1.6, so twice, and living car-free saves three times at 2.4 tons. So I was just like, so confused. I was honestly like, okay, this is actually great. If this is landing in people's inboxes, like yeah, it's not like, going to be doing a lot. Pro. But what worried me is at the end, they did do a good job because they left with a call to action. And so they said, pick a plan. You can either be vegan before 6 p.m., which means you do breakfast and lunch for vegan, and then you get like a free-for-all party for dinner. Or you can be a weekend vegetarian, which I was like, it's kind of like weekend warrior, but different. <laughs> um, and so I was like, that is a really effective means at getting, you know, people are going to fall base to this yeah. propaganda. That's like an easy thing to be the flexitarian. Well, I feel like that's where Meatless Monday came from. It was like a single day. If you could get people to do one day Meatless Monday, you can probably get them more excited. 
So to our poll results, 80% of you guys said you feel like there's a negative, uh, that animal ag has a negative impact, like the mainstream media is covering it in a negative light. And so I kind of have a question though, was the course that you signed up for, was it free or what did you have to pay for? No, it was free. So I guess my point was, I was like, why are they, like what's the point of this? Is it just like clickbait? And I feel like the more I'm looking into it, I do feel like kind of going back to how many like words they use that were like clickbaity in that first headline, is like I was looking at the Instagram caption. You know, we love to cut, look at the Instagram caption, see the comment section. But it was like the entire post was supposed to be about like how you could do a better job, get a smaller carbon footprint. And they actually listed off some things that you could do. They were like, going meatless would help more than installing solar panels, switching to an electric vehicle, composting, reducing your plastic waste. They gave no facts about it. They gave no information at all. Um, and then they actually ended the caption with saying, fossil fuels, fossil fuels are actually a bigger difference. And so it was very contradicting, like just like you said. And so I also thought that they were like, and they were just all over the place. It was like, you're gonna save the planet, but also help the suffering animals, like everywhere. They just wanted to be everything to everyone. And so I was like, this is just for clickbait. Like, yeah. <clears throat> so that's what I have to say. Moving on to our second one, you wanna talk about this one? Yeah, so our second trending news article this week is Blue Zones um, Diet in America. Um, and it was actually a podcast. I, a friend that I follow on social media, she linked it in her stories and you know, said, here's a good podcast to listen to for eating a Blue Zone diet. And I had kind of known a little bit about Blue, you didn't know anything about Blue anything. Zone diets. And um, you were making fun of me for not <laughs> knowing anything about it. Turns out 60% of our audience had not heard of Blue Zones either, so I'm not like living under a rock, okay? Okay, this will be a good one to discuss then. <laughs> so the podcast title is How to Eat Like Blue Zones in America with Dan Buettner. Um, it was by, as Tara mentioned earlier, it's, the podcast is called Doctor's Pharmacy. It's bar, by Mark Hyman, which I had never heard of until my friend shared this podcast. And, but he's kind of a big deal. He's, he's a like big deal. a 14 times bestselling author. He has millions of followers on IG, mm -hmm. 250,000 on Twitter. So clearly what he is creating and sharing and the narratives around him, he's impacting people. Um, so a little background on Blue Zones. They were originally introduced, the idea of them, in 2004 in the Journal of Experimental Gerontology. And basically this article just identified zones in the world where a large number of people live longer than average. So essentially there's like a boatload of centurions that live there. So they're 100 years or older. And uh, there's five places. There's Japan, Italy, a place in Costa Rica, a place in Greece, and then one city in California that are the designated blue zones. Okay, and then four years after that, in 2009, there was a book called The Blue Zones by Dan Buhner, who was being interviewed. And he, in the book, describes what he believes to be the secrets to longevity. And he gives like nine basic um, ideas of how to live longer. And they really are like increased activity, having a purpose to life, reducing stress, having a good family and social life, um, reducing alcohol intake. But one of the ones that we really want to talk about today, and it's the big one that gets a lot of attention, is having a mostly plant-based diet or limiting your meat consumption to just a few ounces a month. So I think first off, I actually agree with a lot of the study. I'm like, it surprises people that by getting more activity, like more exercise, taking regular naps, living yeah, I was like, don't show my husband the nap one. He'll be like, uh, blue zones, blows, blue zones have authorized my daily nap. I know, I was like, I'm gonna start scheduling into my business calendar. Uh, I'm napping because I'm trying to live a blue zone diet. Um, but I feel like those kind of things have a much bigger impact than just saying a diet because these people were all eating all different things. And then one thing they didn't even mention was that socioeconomic status has the biggest impact. And don't even talk about that. 
So I actually listened to a podcast by Diana Rogers. Um, she goes by Sustainable Dish Online, who covered Blue Zones. It was quite a while ago, so you'd have to like scroll back in her feed. Um, but she did a really good job. And the reason, again, why we kind of picked this and why I wanted to bring it to the podcast is because people do kind of neglect the eight other things on the list of nine things in the Blue Zones and love to hone in on the plant-based diet. And that's what a lot of argument like people like Diana will get when she shares online. Yeah. It's like, well, what about the Blue Zone diet? Um, so she, in her podcast, she broke down two main problems with the Blue Zones, which no one is talking about, and I don't get why. The first one is that, um, and it's just majorly overlooked, and I, I cannot figure it out, because um, it was simply an epidemiological project and that turned into this book by this author. And so everyone is treating it like it's a study, like that, that it's a yeah, peer-reviewed peer evidence. And I feel like that's actually a huge problem with social media right now. It's like, where has all the science... Yeah, the like, Vox thing. There was not one statistic, like, like a fact stated. Well, when we talk about this with docuseries all the time, yeah. is people approach, you know, all the different docuseries on Netflix or online as, like, like peer-reviewed, uh -huh, authoritative sources. And it's like, no, it's just one person's storytelling. It's entertainment. In, um, so that's one huge downfall that, again, is majorly overlooked, that they basically were like, here is a epidemiological study, and we're going to be like, well, we'll just recommend that the whole entire not just nation, but world, lives Let's off of this the same one diet. diet. Um, and the other thing they talked about, which is, again, overlooked with the Blue Zones, is that um, there was actually a study from Oxford done on it that showed that the vital record-keeping may not actually be up to par, which, like, if that is true, then we have, like, a serious foundational problem to Blue Zones. Yeah, I think one of the things, too, I saw was, like, the difference between correlation and causation. Like, there was just a lot of, like, similar things that were happening, but there was no actual, like, this is the cause. Like, one of them was they mentioned dads with five or more daughters are likely to live longer. And the guy made a joke, like, well, if you can put up with five women, you can live longer. And it was like, it kind of proved the point. that was like, it's just random things that happen to be, like, similarities. But there's not any, like, that's why you live longer. So, like, I thought that was really interesting. Another issue that they talked about was, like, plant-based versus whole foods. And they use those words interchangeably. And I'm like, how is whole foods not meat or milk? Like, those are whole foods, too. And then finally, the sustainable dish one, they mentioned that if you actually look at like the nuanced data, a lot of the people were eating more meat than their counterparts in outlying communities. So they actually were having a higher intake of meat consumption than other people. So wouldn't that prove for like a higher intake of meat? Yeah, so for anyone listening, there's clearly a lot of, if you are you know, mm -hmm. sharing online and you get the blue zone rhetoric, in there's your a face. lot to share. There's a lot to share about it. Um, the last thing I'll note <laughs> with the blue zones, and I think that this is obviously you know why we want to talk about this again, is because in the larger scope of picture, if people do you know believe in the blue zone and like want to adapt again, like napping's not bad, moderate alcohol intake's not bad, like the list Exercising's of the other bad. things isn't bad. But if they do incorporate that plant-based diet, um, you know we've talked about this before, but we just worry what like the nutritional from a nutritional standpoint, what will happen if we removed animal-based protein from people's diets? The deficits we're going to experience. One of the, um, Diane, who Diana was interviewing, she was a registered dietitian who had done a lot of research on blue zones, and she was saying, because she had worked in an, um, a functional medical clinic that was evaluating people living on these blue zone diets, and she was saying that a lot of their labs were coming back very indicative of, you know, unwell people, and not just from, like, a micronutrient standpoint or any of, like, the scientific, you know, 
uh, numerical values, but also from like behaviors. Like there was a lot of anxiety and depression and different mood behaviors that were being shown in these people. And it'll go back to one thing I say in this podcast all the time is that we do not have you know, long-term data to show what a vegan and vegetarian lifestyle does you know, from a lifetime standpoint. We have it from you know, people who are now saying, I've been it for 7, 10, 12, 15 years, and here's all the problems I've experienced. But I just really worry about pushing this plant-based diet, um, especially on children, when we don't have any of the data to support what removing animal protein does. Yeah, so I think that kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, wraps it up for here. I feel like I, I saw positives to it and obviously a lot of negatives. So I think that's both of what we wanted to say. And so now we have a few minutes left and we will open it up for Q&A. If you guys have a question, there are mics. Um, so who wants to go first? We want to hear some good questions. Come on, you guys can't, can't let us off easy. We, we had a couple questions come in actually online um, that we asked our audiences. So we'll start with one of those while you guys are getting your questions together. Uh, the, I know you guys have them. Uh, you mentioned that the eating less meat article gave statistics and Instagram caption with no data to support it. How can we combat those misleading posts? I feel like that is where, like, making sure our farmers and ranchers that are sharing our, online are armed with resources. Like, you and we offer a resource guide. I know that, you know, organizations like American Farm Bureau are great about getting information out to producers, farmers, and ranchers. We need to be, like, well-equipped with that data of how to combat that. Because I think we have to incorporate it. While we need to tell our story and it needs to be an emotional connection, I always think including facts and figures and stats just amplifies your message. Well, I think that question also goes back to the idea of, like, do we spend time... Uh, it's like offense-defense, right? So yeah. do we spend time on the defense being like, here's all the things wrong with that article, here's all the citations that were wrong, here's an article that had no citations, and, like, play the defense the defense game or do we just, you know, sit over here on the offense and like you said, come to the table with our own statistics and our own own story to share. Yeah, I think that's a great point, playing a little more offense than defense. <clears throat> Any questions from you guys? <laughs> All right, we have one more online I'll ask. Um, Tara oh, me, talked about the whole foods diet, including meat. How do we get more people to see meat as a part of a healthy whole foods diet? I think I think that's a really interesting one because we know with Whole Foods we hear like don't have any, you know processed foods, don't oh we do okay let me finish this one, um, don't have processed foods don't you know low ingredient list it's like milk and meat and chicken and like it all has that so it's like I think we have to just kind of continue I think kind of kind of goes what you say talk about our messaging, and amplify those voices yeah that question makes me think of the graphic out there of like. I think it's dog food, two type, different types oh of dog food next to the plant-based yeah. <laughs> meat um, ingredient list. And they're equally as long and they have like the same amount of ingredients. And so you're right, it is, there is for some reason out there a narrative around, again, we're one ingredient, we're whole, we're nutritious. Um, like how do we get that in there better? But yeah. All right, we got a question. Let's I know you're so brave, thank you. <laughs> oh yeah, no problem. Oh, is this on? Yeah, okay, yeah. no problem. So my question is, usually when having these conversations and, and trying to um, stand up for agriculture when it comes to diets, I struggle with having resources. So is there one like book, like just for each of you, like one resource that you kind of go back to, something that you would suggest to people to read or to utilize when having these conversations? Yeah, so um, I, again, my family, so, Will online or our podcast listeners be able to hear that? Yeah. That. 
Yeah, they should be able to. Okay. <laughs> Thumbs up. Um, <laughs> audio guys, <laughs> let us know. Um, I, my family ranches, and so a lot of what I share, um, going back to the conversation before this where we talked about like tips and tricks for sharing online, I've always kind of tried to stay in the cattle beef conversation. I, you know, I don't advocate a lot for dairy, and I don't get into some of the other commodities I don't wow, understand. Wow, thanks a lot. I know. You're on your own. <laughs> uh, I don't want your, like, your activists to come after me anyway. Um, so for meat in the diet, there's a book called, um, oh gosh, it's by Nina Teichels. It's called, um, Big wow. Fat Lock. Yes, the Big, Big, Big Fat, just Something. a second. I had it. I feel like we I need that say it all the time. Da, 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 da. Big Fat Surprise by Nina Teichholz. She's a registered dietitian. She does a really great job of breaking down meat in a diet, scientific studies behind it. She actually really goes into the food pyramid. She goes way back to like the 50s and 40s when the food pyramid was introduced. Kind of the whole like bad cholesterol. It's, it's a phenomenal, it's a big read, but it's a phenomenal read if you want to advocate for meat in the diet. Um, we also have an advocacy resource guide on elevateyouragstory.com. And we break it into beef, dairy, nutrition, um, greenhouse gas emissions, methane, tons of things. And so, uh, and it's all clickable links, like it's a PDF that you just click. It'll take you to a peer-reviewed study or like an article that maybe compiles a couple of peer-reviewed studies. Um, and it is just a great place. I mean, it's a ton of information, but the categories kind of help you find exactly what you're looking for really quickly. Perfect, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Hi. Hi. How, how are you? I'm Steve from New York. And at our Farm Bureau convention, we had a keynote speaker, Brett Scott of Aimpoint Research, who had a really interesting point. He says, with um, growing world populations, there's going to be a, a double uh, amount of demand for protein products, whether it's meat, dairy, what have you. And basically, his message to farmers at our convention was, don't take it so personal there's still going to be a growing demand for what you produce and a need for what you do, and just encourage our farmers not to be so defensive. Mm -hmm. How do you, what do you think about that? And do you ever take it personally? Or, or have you learned a lot that you're like, you know what, it's, it's a big world, a lot of opinions, and let's just be advocates for what we do. Do you want to, I feel like this is something you like feel strongly no, about. Yeah, okay, okay, I'll go first. Um, I feel like I agree actually with that. I think there's plenty of room. There, as um, different populations move into more middle class, the demand for meat and animal protein just skyrockets. And I don't know that we can fill every, like American farmers cannot fill every single one of those needs. Like there's so much room in so many different areas. Like I don't get very threatened. Like for example, milk alternatives, we lose more share of our fluid milk to bottled water than we do to milk alternatives. My stance on this is I actually hate the misinformation. And kind of going back to that first news article, the trickle down effect. Like if shareholders are saying, we need to be eating less meat or we need to be eating less dairy and they make changes in restaurants or you know, actually uh, policy changes, that's where I get worried is what do those, uh, what are the effects long-term of policy changes and just the influence. I'm not worried about us losing our share of animal protein. Yeah, I'll, I mean, mm. I'll kind of echo that similarly. One thing we say on this podcast and, and our social platforms all the time is that we stand for food choice. And so I'm not upset that there are vegan options. I am not upset that there's vegetarian options. I am not upset that there is you know, milk alternatives for people who cannot uh, you know, digest milk properly. I get upset when they are advocating for one and one only, which is not our, <laughs> our product. It's their product. You know, if we can have, ev you know, everyone can come to the table to eat, great. I can dine with all of them. I get mad when they're trying to shove us out. Um, but I don't, I also support the fact that I, 
there's always going to be demand for beef and protein and what we're growing as producers. I don't uh, fear, um, and I don't know, maybe it's a little naivety, I don't think it is, but I don't fear them overtaking us. I don't fear plant-based meats overtaking us, lab meats, I don't fear them overtaking us. There's always gonna be demand, but like Tara said, we have a lot of these conversations to make sure, because there's a lot of misinformation out there about people who think they're experts in these other areas advocating to remove us, and so we just add our voice so that Hopefully people who do choose to live a different, you know, live a plant-based lifestyle or have an alternative milk, they're doing it based off factual information and not misinformation. I think we have one more question and then we'll wrap it up. Yay! Hi, I'm Mary Beth from Indiana. Um, many years ago, I used to be pretty active in the social media space doing, talking about food and farming and, and advocating, as we called it. Um, due to some life and some job circumstances, I haven't been very active in a while. And in the last five years, it feels like that social space has really changed a lot. It feels like now you have to be very active in video to have any kind of impact. And it feels very overwhelming and intimidating to try to get started with that. How essential do you think it is to do video, whether it's long form YouTube, short form on Reels or on TikTok? How impactful can you be without a major presence of your own and just commenting on others versus how much of your own platform do you need to have to really start to make a difference? Okay, well buckle up. I know someone important is talking at four o'clock, but I have a lot to say about it. I know, I was gonna say, you ate uh, a point now. I was like, you just a lot of her talk. Um, so yeah, video, short video, is king right now. Like TikTok is king, reels are king, short form video is what is Even kind YouTube of- Even YouTube shorts, I mean. Yeah, it's what's, you know, m the main player online right now. With that said, I think there are platforms where it's obviously not, right? So, you know, you can do Twitter, you could do, Facebook is kind of into it a I, little bit, yeah, but it's a mix. more long form. Um, so I do think if you are going to get online and you do want to have like a pretty decent social presence um, or you, for sure, if you want to be making money from online, you do have to be comfortable with video. I just see it being really hard, unless you're going to play it literally on like Twitter. Um, all the other platforms have video built into it, so you are going to have to get comfortable with it. With that said, I one of my boundaries, going back to the advocacy component we talked about before this um, podcast, where I, you know, you talked about advocating online and you blocked and deleted. One of my boundaries that allows me to kind of put out controversial material and and continue to do it, I guess, show up and do it all the time, is I don't spend a lot of time in my comments. It's like my boundary. Like I don't engage with whether they're good or bad on those reels that kind of go out of control because it can just suck the life out of me. So I do super appreciate people who want to show up online and engage with other people in the comment section. Like you said, do you, does that focus have to be on me or can I be lending to other people's pages? And I do think that's like really important and crucial. So if you're not coming to like have a presence yourself, I think there is a place and space that is appreciated by people like us who are sharing online that you do. I know I have one follower all the time. She's in my comment section. She's engaging. She's talking to people. She's 100% making a difference. She's not doing it on her page. She's doing it on mine and a lot of other people's places in the comments. So I really think it comes down to like your goals if you're trying to further your operation, trying to further your business, or if you're just trying to make a difference for the ag industry as a whole. All right, well with that, we wanna thank you guys for joining our first ever Live From Stage Discover Ag podcast. If you are new to our podcast, you can find us every single Thursday. We have bonus episodes uh, throughout the month on Tuesday as well, but our regularly scheduled episode is on Thursday. You can find us anywhere you find your podcast um, at Discover Ag. We're also on YouTube, so if you prefer the YouTube platform, we are starting to upload our podcast episodes there, so you can actually listen and watch our whole podcast episode on YouTube. All right, thank you, and see you guys next week. <laughs>